the message that we've been preaching over the last several weeks, um, this, this series called Countercultural, is something that has uh, started off as, man, I think this is cool. I like this idea. I like this, the thought process of this countercultural faith and living. And um, I, I, I want to see what God's going to, how he's going to develop this into now something completely different that he has done in my heart, in my life. And I always say this, that I preach first to myself, right? And so today, um, that is probably true more than ever before in my life. And so as we get into the word this morning, I am excited to see what God does and how he speaks to you through it this morning. Because, you know, that's the one thing I love about God's word. It is, it is what it's called living. So it's constantly doing something in our lives. It doesn't make a difference how many times you read the same verse. Something is going to change in you when you've read it. Even if you've read it for the 479,000th time, something is going to change in you as you read it. And that's the power of God's word, that it's living. And so we've been in this series, like I said, entitled Countercultural. We've been handling different parts of the journey that we have with Christ and that are that are countercultural, not for the sake of being different or even difficult, but just for the sake of being biblical. You know, sometimes people hear the phrase countercultural and they lump that in with, oh, they're just trying to be different. Trying to, what, is, what are they going to do intentionally to be different? And part of that is true because as you walk out your journey with Christ, you are actually called to be different. And it's with intention that you were called and designed to be different. And if, if you look a little bit too much like what the world looks like, you might not be as close to Jesus as you think you are. And that's not an indictment. That's not a judgment. That is just an observation of truth as it relates to Scripture. And so today we're going to spend some time talking about this idea of countercultural hope. It's... Something that jumped off the page at me this week. It wasn't even really the intention that I had going forward of what I wanted to, what I felt like I wanted to speak this week. But it is something that has really hit me today. And so as we jump into this, we are going to uh, unpack this idea of hope. And my hope is that you... uh, experience something and hear something that you have not seen before. That's why I tell you, I think you've been set up. Because I think something's going to be said today, something's going to be spoken today through this message that, that God has for you that is going to change the way you view something in your life and probably change it eternally. And so, as it relates to hope, after a relationship has failed us and communities have hurt us, institutions have betrayed us, and organizations have tried to manipulate us, and governments have disappointed us, and religions have damaged us. After we have come through that type of journey and that type of life, it's hard to not be cynical. It's hard to not be pessimistic. It's hard to pretty much look at, not, it's hard to not pretty much look at everything and say, man, this is all just a bunch of bogus junk. The government, religion, all these things, because we've experienced pain, or we've experienced hurt in, in these different institutions and organizations that it's caused us even to be cynical. And unfortunately, what we've done is we project some of that cynicism onto God. So when we experience something, it's immediately viewed through the lens of everything that's ever hurt me, every person that's ever hurt me, every religion, organization, church, government, community, Whatever the case may be, we filter that through that lens. And we have this, we come up with this cynicism and this pessimism in our life. And it's kind of like why I wanted them to sing that first verse of that song. With all this pain, can anything really change? You know, we get ourselves to that position where all that we've experienced, is anything ever really going to change? You know, and I don't want to, stand up here in front of everyone as this super righteous um, preaching, gospel preaching pastor or the, and, and project something that's not actually true. I mean, yes, I do live a life that I do everything that I can to honor God, but I struggle just the same as everyone else. I'm challenged in my hope on a regular basis just like you. I am challenged in my 
thought process, my theology. I'm challenged in the way that I feel and dealing with how I feel about certain things daily, pretty much just like you. And so I am in this journey with you, not for you, but with you. And so one of the things that I've realized in my life that has helped me along this path is there's this attitude that we develop in our life. You know, have you any, ever any, met anybody where you've just come in contact with them, whether it be at work or at church or anywhere else that you've ever been, you come in contact with them and then you walk away saying, wow, they got an attitude problem. Anybody ever, am I the only one? I mean, I've been the one. I definitely say that. But if you ever encountered anyone, it's like, man, you just got an attitude problem. Right? So we have these attitudes that are shaped and that are formed based on the things that we experience and the things that we go through. And so one of the most important attitudes that we can hold on to is this attitude of hope. Not hope that our government's going to turn around and, and meet our needs and, and make the right decisions. Not hope that, that my, my, my parents are going to see things my way. Or not hope that my spouse changes into what I want them to become. That's not the kind of hope because if you have ventured in that journey, have a conversation with my wife. She will tell you after 19 years, there's no hope. The only one is changing me is God. And anybody else who tries, I, I resist as if they were the devil. And so, but we have this attitude of hope, especially if it's inspired by Jesus. There's this, when you have this attitude of hope, there's this sense of purpose. There's this sense of meaning. There's this sense of optimism towards life. Even when you're struggling, even when you see things happening that you're like, I really wish that that hadn't happened. And so this, high, this hope, despite the chaos that's around us, somehow changes us. It anchors us to Christ and allows us to navigate this thing called life and this journey of faith. And so in Romans, you're going to jump into Romans chapter 15, verse number 13. The Bible says, I pray. Paul is praying here for the church in Rome. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will, find, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a couple of things that I'm going to point out really quickly that jump out to me in this passage of scripture. It's the first one being, number one, that God is the source of all hope. God is the source of all hope. Not our government, not whoever the president is, not whoever the mayor of your city is, not whoever is your employer. They're not the source of your hope. God is the source of your hope. In my short 44 years of life, almost 44 years of life, I'm aging myself a lot faster these days. I'm actually only 43 for a couple more months, but for whatever reason, I keep telling everybody I'm almost I'm 44, so it's, I, I want to go backwards the other way. So, but in my 43 years of life, I have endured the journey of several presidents of the United States. Not as many as some, but definitely my share of presidents and different governments and different philosophies. And there's one thing I can tell you that is completely the same about every last one of them. Not one of them has determined my course in life. Not one of them has been anyone that I've looked to for any sort of hope for what God might be trying to do in my life and through my life. And that's one thing that we have to understand when it comes to this idea of hope, that it only comes from God who is the source of hope. But there's something that goes to making up hope. It's one thing to say, oh, this hope. What is hope? He even, Paul even answers it, that the God who is the source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace. Imagine that. Imagine we have that there's this thing out there, this abstract idea called hope. And then when you try to break that down and say, well, what, what is actually in this thing called hope? And then you find these two words that Paul says, there's joy and there's peace. So I imagine that if we had joy and we had peace, we'd be able to find ourselves with hope. But without joy and without peace, we would say we have no hope. And so it's really important to understand the makeup of hope. 
So once God, once we've acknowledged that God is the source of hope, and once we have allowed him, because his desire is to fill us completely with joy and peace, but it comes because we trust him. Now understand this, that we, we say this word trust as if it's not this massive word in scripture, but it actually is. It's this huge word in scripture because it means I am going to put everything I know about me and my faults, my failures, my insecurities, all these things, and I'm going to give them to God, and I am going to absolutely believe that he's going to turn them around and use them for my good. That's what trust actually means. It's not just like, oh, yeah, I trust you to make the right decision. It's not like, here's the key. I give my daughter the keys to the car. Hey, I'm trusting you to make the right decision. I am not putting my, the hope of my entire life in, the, in, the desi- in my daughter's ability to make the right decision with my car. That would be foolish. She's 16, 17. Well, she was 16 when I gave her the keys to the car. And she done wrecked it. So my faith, if I put my hope in something so trivial... She didn't destroy the car. I make it sound like it was a lot worse than it was. And she said, thank you. But, uh, but that, would be, that would be foolish to put my, my hope in, in everything in something so trivial, right? But when, we, when, when God says, in the God that you trust, he is saying, you got to put it all in me. And when you put it all in me, then you will overflow with confident hope. And where does that confident hope come from today? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, so if, if you sit here right now and, you, and you're still like wrestling like, man, I, I, I hear what you're saying and worship was amazing, but I just don't have this hope. Then here's what happened. You didn't allow the power of the Holy Spirit to get in deep enough to take the junk out that was keeping you from your hope. That's what just happened in worship. Because the Holy Spirit led us, the Holy Spirit guided us, even to the point that I wanted them to start that song from the very beginning, because the reality was, in our time structure of service, I really didn't have the time to start that song from the very beginning, and still preach, and still get out of here so that the movie can start whenever it's supposed to start, right? So the time structure, see, God works outside of all of these parameters to say, this is what I'm going to do. How are you going to adjust to what I'm already doing? Instead of us saying, okay, see, because now it's like, well, I, I need to end worship so that I can preach my 14 points in my message. And it's, I'm say, what I'm basically saying to God is, God, I, I love you, and I'm excited that you're doing what you're doing, but I'm actually putting you inside of this parameter box that says you've got to function like this so that I can get through everything that I wrote down. And if that's what we do, we miss what the Holy Spirit is trying to do because God is a source of hope, fills you with joy and peace because you've trusted him. And once you've trusted him, then you overflow with confident hope that comes from the Holy Spirit. You have to encounter the Holy Spirit in order to have confident hope. That's just like crazy. It's like, wait a minute, I... I've made it all about all these other things. It's not about how long you pray. It's not about any of these other things. It's about how are you experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit and then allowing that to clean out the junk to give you the hope that you need. And if you minimize God, if you put him in a box, and if you say, oh, you know what? You've got to function in this time. That could be the time that says, you know what? I'm giving you, God, 10 minutes a day to pray. You've got to do something glorious in these 10 minutes of my life. And it's not to say that he can't, but how much more do you think he'd like to spend time with you so that he can show you, look what I'm about to do. Now, I don't know about you, but I've spent some time with Jesus in my walk, in my prayer and time where I've come out like giddy. Like I'm a kindergartner going for my very first day of school. Like, oh my gosh, God's going to do something great. And that, But that's only found because I've allowed the Holy Spirit to clean this junk up, because just like you, there's junk, and then rested with him to hear, what does he want to do with my life? See, we use this word hope to express our preference about weather. How many of you hope it stops snowing? You know, it's a desire for our favorite sports team to succeed. It's, we even use it 
when we just when we talk about what we'd like to have for our birthday gift. And it's a part of our daily vocabulary. Hope seems to be less often applied to its actual biblical use. You know, I'm hopeful that it is going to be 70 degrees tomorrow. Well, you live in Peoria, Illinois in February. It's quite possible. It's the most bipolar, schizophrenic weather on the planet. It's quite possible. But it's really unlikely that the weather's going to be 70. Imagine that you decided to go to bed tonight and say, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. It's going to be 70 degrees. I'm going to throw on a pair of shorts and a short sleeve shirt, and I'm going to go outside, and I'm going to mow my grass. Imagine you went to bed tonight and said that. And you say, that's, that's my hope. And then imagine you woke up tomorrow morning, and you put shorts on and a short sleeve shirt, and you walked out your front door only to realize it's 20 degrees. And snow that you now have to shovel again. What would that do for your hope? Where did you put that hope? What, was, what did that accomplish? Now, I, I wish you could all be like me. I am going to wake up tomorrow morning, and it is going to be 70 degrees. It's only because I'm not going to be in this state. And so I, I, I've got that benefit. But the reality is we put our hope in these trivial, unrealistic things. And so, but see, biblical hope is very different. It's not a wish or a preference, but it's rather it's a certainty Get this, because this is powerful for you. Hope is a certainty that has yet to be fulfilled. When I stand up and say, I am, going, I am hoping that God makes a message out of the mess in my life, I am speaking a certainty that has not yet been fulfilled. That's what hope is. It's not a wish. It's not a, eh, blow out the candles on my birthday cake and hope when I open my eyes, everything in the world has changed. It's this, it's this certainty. That's why, in, that's why I, when I read what Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he said it's confident hope. That word confident means it's certain. So when biblical writers express this, the practice of, hope, of, of, of the walk of, of, of life, you heard, you've heard it said, you know, in First Corinthians, faith, hope, and love, right? You've heard that mentioned in Scripture. Those are actions. Those are things that take place. They intend to be ongoing. You should continually have faith. You should continually love. But you should also continually hope. This isn't just a, um, I have hope for today. So the question that I want you to ask yourself today, and then hopefully answer by the end of this message. See, I even use it just in regular speech. Hopefully you'll answer this question putting my hope in your desire and willingness to answer a question. The question is this, is hope a practice in your everyday life? And then when you, to answer the question, you don't just simply say yes or no. It's, if it's yes, then you should be able to legitimately say, this is where I've had hope, not for something, but in someone. And that someone being Jesus. This is where I've had hope. I've had hope that God would sustain this. I've had hope that Jesus would provide this. I've had hope, 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 all connected to and inspired by Jesus. You should be able to tangibly put your finger on what you've had hope for. If you can't, it might not be an everyday practice. So this morning as we uh, just now get into my message. We're going to break down 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 for a few minutes. We're going to look into what it means, how, it, what, how, how we unpack it to see what God is about to reveal. And it's like I said before, I believe you've been set up. I think God's going to reveal something. If he hasn't already, he's going to reveal something in this passage of Scripture that might change the way you view God. This isn't like any kind of brand new, fresh revelation no one has had. I will never preach that because that's not biblical. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. I think this just might be a new understanding of a very, very old principle. So let's get started. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. It'll be up on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. This is what the Bible says, starting in verse number 3. It says, all praise to God the Father, 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad, verse 6, be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. This is a passage of scripture that is just overflowing with hope. And I'm going to explain to you why. We're going to start off with just the very simple basics. Number one, and you have received a note sheet that you can keep track of these points, these specific points, as well as I think on the back, there are some blank note-taking space for you to write yourself. But the very first thing that we have to understand before we can ever truly understand and embrace this thing, this thing called hope that God has for us, is in found in verse number three. All praise to God, the Father of, Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. In order to even engage into this relationship of hope with Christ, you must be born again. You must be born again. It's not an option. It's not a good grand idea. It's not like, yeah, you know what? That might be a pretty cool thing to do. No, this is the very foundation of everything is being born again. And while that sounds very simple and very basic, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but I want to make sure that we have a very good biblical understanding of being born again. Because I never take it for granted that everyone sitting in the room today is actually born again. Because some of us grow up never even knowing that. Matter of fact, there are churches on this earth that you can go to that will preach God and Jesus, but you will never hear the phrase, be born again. You'll never even know that that was something that you were supposed to do. There are literally churches all over the country and this world that will preach that way. So it's really simple to be born again really simply means born into a new life. Born into a new life is what it means to be born again. And it's not by natural ways, but by supernatural ways. You are born new, made new, kind of like what we were, we were singing about, by the Most High God. That's the supernatural part, right? It's not, it's, it sounds, it's really basic, but it's really important to understand that when you are born again, you are born into a new life. So think about it the same way that you came into this earth. You were born into this earth into a new life as a baby. It's the same concept as being born again, except you are born new supernaturally and spiritually, not physically. You know, that was, that was the argument, well, how can a man be born again? I can't go back into my mother's womb. I don't know about you, when I read that passage of scripture, I laugh, because it's kind of funny to think. you got a grown man saying, how do I get back? Like, no, that's, that's kind of not what we're talking about. But it's this newness that God wants to do supernaturally. Now, this whole idea of being born again and this whole idea of salvation is very simple. It takes place instantaneously the day you decide to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. That's what it says. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that you're saved and that, that Jesus is the son of God and you will be saved. It's very simple. It happens instantaneously, but it's continually done as well. Like the whole mention of the word, it's one of few words in all of scripture that is actually has a past, present, and future tense in all in one word. If you think about it, in English language, it makes no sense. How can one word have a past, a present, and a future tense? It doesn't work. But in the original language, 
both Greek and Hebrew, you can find words that have past, present, and future tense. So the, the idea of being born again in salvation means it has happened, it has continually happened, and it will ultimately happen. That's what it means. So to be born again literally means I am born into a new life, not by natural ways, but by supernatural ways. That's born again. Number two, you have to expect a priceless inheritance. It's one thing to, to preach it or to read about it, but you have to expect that this is designed and meant for you. Verse 4, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Let me tell you, there's so much in that one verse that could take you days and weeks to study, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give you some highlights real quick. <coughs> so this idea of priceless inheritance it's just as it sounds. It is a future reference to something that is shared. You know, if we have a loved one who passes away and they have an inheritance to give you, it's something that is shared with you that takes place in the future. And so he's, it's the same thing. It's something that is going to be shared. It's a future reference to something that is shared. In this case, it's not grandma's pearls. Or grandpa's gun collection. This is the, it's not, it's not the estate of your great aunt who was wealthy that you spent a summer with. This is the estate of the father. Just take a moment to picture this. The king of all kings. The creator of heaven and all of its glory, all of its beauty, all of its majesty. Whether you go into the country and look up in the sky and see these the, the, the vast expanse of stars and planets and things that you see, or you go all the way, way up north to catch the northern lights. The God who created all of this says, I have all of this to share with you one day. That's the inheritance that he's talking of. That's what we're having hope in. We're having hope that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to be walking with us again. And then on top of it, wow, we have this inheritance by God. That's so much greater than anything I could ever leave to my children. It, it, this, we have this, and, and here's the thing. It's not only this vast, glorious inheritance, it's priceless. You can't put a dollar figure on it. You can't put a time frame on it. The one who created for the, the glory of the heavens has something to share with you. Can answer me a question, and this is obviously, you don't necessarily have to answer this out loud, but why on earth do we continually make decisions to say, God, thanks, but no thanks, I really don't want your inheritance. If you had a great aunt who was very wealthy that said, hey, I've got something for you, would you go up to them and say, you know what, aunt? Thank you, but no thank you. I really don't want you to have what you have for me. No. Matter of fact, if we did and told somebody, they'd say, you stupid. But if I say that in the message, whoo, pastor's judging me now. But that's, that's, the, that's the reality of the, of the inheritance that we have. It's, it's so priceless and it's so tremendous that it makes no sense why we don't pursue it. It also, it also describes this inheritance as being pure and undefiled, which means it's, it's, it's referring to something that can never be corrupted. Never be corrupted. The inheritance you might get from a family member could be corrupted. But this can never be corrupted. It is never without being perfect. Jesus has this inheritance for you that is not only priceless, but it is perfect. And let get that image in your head, church. He has an inheritance that is priceless and perfect. And then it says it can never fade away. For those of you in this room who don't like change, understand something. Life will change pretty regularly, but your inheritance never changes. So if you want to ever hang your hat on something to say, man, everything around me is changing. The one thing that doesn't change is your inheritance that God has for you. The one thing that doesn't change is the God that you serve. He never changes. 
Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. God told Malachi, I am God and I do not change. So whatever he meant for you before you were ever caught up in the struggle and the problem that you were in, he still means for you today and he will mean for you tomorrow because he does not change. It will never fade. So we put this all together. We put all this together, what it says about our inheritance. This is what it says. We have an inheritance from Jesus, the creator of all things, that you are completely unable to place a value on, an inheritance that is so priceless that it is perfect in all of its ways, and, out, and that outside of us rejecting Christ completely, there is nothing I can do to cause it to fade. The only thing you could ever do to cause the inheritance that Christ has for you to fade is to outrightly reject his salvation. We don't want to talk about your inheritance then. You still have an inheritance. Reject Christ, there's still an inheritance. We, it's very real. It's to be apart from Christ. And if being with Christ is glorious, to be apart from him is the opposite of glorious. It's painful. It's hot. We'll just say that. It's very real. Don't be one of those Christians that say, oh yeah, heaven is real, but hell is not very real. It's a very real place. The devil wants to take you there as quickly as he can. But God says, I have this inheritance for you. It's priceless. It's perfect. It never changes. It's glorious. And all you have to do is say, yes, God. Hmm. So you must be born again. Expect a priceless inheritance Number three, understand that joy is ahead. Joy is ahead. Man, it's, it's, it's so hard to even imagine that sometimes. I'm so caught up in despair. I'm so caught up in depression. I'm so caught up in sadness. From whatever, it can be, it can be long-term, dealing with anxiety and depression. It can be short-term, the loss of a loved one. It can be short-term, the struggle of, of trying to make ends meet financially. It, whatever it can be, there's, all, there's these struggles that we have that we have a hard time finding joy. But we have to understand that joy is actually ahead. He goes on to say, verse number five, he says, And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day. So God, through all of this, is protecting you. He is guiding, he's, yeah, in the middle of your pain, he's protecting you. In the middle of your depression, he's protecting you. In the middle of the struggle to make ends meet financially, he's protecting you. Putting your faith and trust in him and stepping out in faith to do something that makes no sense to anyone else on the earth, yes, he's protecting you through all of that. That's the God that we serve. Then he goes on in verse six and seven and says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, here's what you have to understand. In order to get to the joy that God has planned for you, you have to endure trial. You can't avoid trial. You have to endure it. Trials and, and, and issues and struggles and, and pain is not something you can go get around. It's not something you can go over. It's something you have to go through. But when you're going through it, you can have the thought process that says there is joy ahead of me. Yeah, I may not see it, but there is joy ahead of me. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr., in one of his greatest speeches, he says, I may not get there with you, but I have been to the mountaintop. I have seen what God is going to do. And he knew he wasn't going to get there. He knew he had to go through something in order for the greater thing to even take place. That's what God's saying. I've got joy ahead of you. He goes on to say, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. And your, your faith is only truly tested when you go through something. When life is good, life is easy. Come on, let's just be real. When life is good, life is easy. The test of genuine faith comes when you go through something. When you experience something, that's the test of genuine faith. Do you run? Do you hide? Do you complain? Do you criticize? Do you get angry? Do you get frustrated? Do you bicker? Do you fight? Do you take your fellow believer to court and sue them over something? These are all things that show that my faith is being tested and I am failing the test. 
But when we stand firm and keep walking with Jesus and keep our eyes on understanding that there is joy ahead, that's when we start to realize that these trials are, are showing our faith to be genuine. It continues in verse 7 to say, it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, it is far more precious than gold. If you think about gold, I've preached this before and I will preach it till I die because it's so powerful. The reality is this, when it comes to the gold that you wear on your body, I don't wear any, so it doesn't work for me, but when it comes to the gold that you would wear on your body, it's, it's rated in these things called carrots. And it's, it's referring to the purity of what you have. And it's only purified one way. It's the heat of the fire. That's it. The difference, you take the same gold mined in the same place and you put it in, in fire. You put it at one temperature to get to 10 karat gold. You put it in a hotter temperature to get to 14 karat gold. You put it even hotter to get to 24 karat gold. That's the only difference. The gold can come from the same place. It can be mined in the same place, be mined by the same people. But the only difference in its purity and its value is how it comes through the fire. And when it's come through the hottest fire and you try to go buy yourself a 24-karat gold necklace, you're going to pay for it. You could go to Walmart and buy your 10-karat gold necklace that you pay $79 for. You go to Zales or you go to whatever these other places are. I don't even shop in jewelry stores. So I don't even know their names. But you go to this jewelry store and you say, I want this 24-karat gold necklace. And they bring it out to you and you look and you marvel at its beauty. And then they say, yeah, that's about 800 bucks. And you're like, oh. Anything of value has been through fire. And that's, that's your faith. It's tested in fire. It's not tested when things are good. Can you stand up and preach the gospel, not necessarily with a microphone, but with how you live your life in the middle of the fire? That just shows. So joy is ahead. He goes on to say, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day that Jesus Christ is revealed. See, we want praise and we want glory and we want honor, but we want it right here, right now. The reality is you will not have it. Stop asking for it. And when people start to praise you, buckle up. Things about to get very, very real. Because that's not what the Bible says. Any praise and any glory and any honor that we receive will be received on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. What does that mean? When he comes back. That's when we will receive praise and glory and honor. And what does that look like? It's by him saying, "Whoa, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's the inheritance that I promised you. This is countercultural hope. It's hope that the world doesn't know anything of. It's hope that they can't even comprehend, that they refuse even sometimes to comprehend. There will be a sea. Here's what you can count on. There will be a season of enduring. There will be a season of testing. And there will be a much longer season of joy. You can count on it. Hope this is making some sense to you. I'm going to preach my voice gone here in a minute. So we're going to take a few minutes right now. We're going to make this practical. I like as often as I possibly can to, to come up with some practicality inside of this message. And so I've got, what do I have? I have six different things that we can actually do to make this practical. And I, I, I will preach these six things rather quickly. So the very first one is very simple. Don't survive. Thrive. You were not meant to survive. You were meant to thrive. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. I'm breaking out the message version for this because I love the way it says it. It says, yes, we should make the most of what God gives us, both the bounty and the capacity to enjoy it, accepting what's given and delighting in the work. It's God's gift. God deals out joy in the present, the now. It's useless to brood over how long we might live. 
I, I just love what it says. Yes, we should make the most of what God has given us today. We should actually be excited about the bounty that he has given us. And everybody has been given a bounty of some kind. Don't get it twisted because you might struggle a little bit if you want to just compare yourself. Because that's what we like to do as a culture, right? We compare ourselves. Unfortunately, we compare our lowlights to everyone else's highlights on social media. But let's just do this for a second. Let's c- compare yourself currently to people living in Haiti currently. And I only use that as an example simply because we have some connections with some pastors and some ministries there. And they are, they have literally been on lockdown for weeks. People dying in the street because of corrupt government and all kinds of other issues plaguing that nation. People, a pastor who has preached here, he and I have talked and he said he's not even been able to get out of his house to go get water for his family because he's fearful for his life leaving his house. That's a serious situation, church. What's your situation look like? All I got to do is say, hey, do me a favor, walk up to that closet, get me a bottle of water. And then I don't even have to drink the whole thing and walk away and it goes in the trash. And there's families in a nation dying to get water, suffering dehydration because they can't get out of their house because the violence is so bad. And even him, through my conversations, he's got so much hope and so much faith for his family, for his nation, for his people. So it is, it is great to make the most of what God gives us both the bounty and the capacity you have to enjoy it. You are meant to thrive, not just to survive. Don't let difficult situations and circumstances stop you from making the most out of every day that you're alive. You woke up this morning with breath in your lungs, then praise him and figure out something you can do to give him glory and honor. Realize that even when times are tough, you can do much more than just endure your current situation. You ask somebody, hey, how's it going? Eh, it's going. Man, they, honestly, when I hear that phrase, I'm torn. Do I want to come and embrace them and love them and tell them, man, God's got something amazing for you? Or do I want to run because they're about to be toxic? I choose to love and embrace, although sometimes in the middle of a hug, I want to run. But that's the idea. I mean, we, it's, you, you, we don't even understand the power of the language and the words that we use when we're going through something. How's everything going? Eh, it could be better. Whew. Let's move you to somewhere where it isn't better, and let's hear you say that. What could you say then? So it, we have to realize that even when times are tough, we can do so much more than just endure. You can actually enjoy life to the fullest. Even in the middle of the worst circumstances you could ever imagine, you can enjoy life to the fullest because you have to remember that life is a gift of God and we have to decide to embrace that gift. Yes, even with the pain, even with the difficulty, even with the struggle. You were meant to have life and to have it more abundantly according to the words of Jesus. You were meant to dig deep into what you have and reach out to others. You were meant to know God and to make him known in this world. You were meant to point to the one hope, the one anchor, the one true source of joy, peace, and contentment for the entire human race. That's what you were meant to do. And you have got to figure out how to do that in the midst of your issues. And how do you do it? Ask God. Very simply, pray, ask God to to help you notice his presence with you in every situation. God, help me to see your presence in the middle of my depression. Help me to see your presence in the middle of what I don't have and in my lack. Help me to see you. Then pray the Holy Spirit renew your mind every day so that you can have a positive attitude and not be the attitude problem. That's very simple. Wake up in the morning and say, Father... Holy Spirit, would you just saturate my mind with your grace, with your love, with your mercy, with your joy? It's hard to ask the Father to do that and then walk out of the house and have an attitude problem. And like I said, I'm preaching to myself. Ask my family. I can have an attitude problem. Ask anybody who's served with me long enough. I can have an attitude problem. I don't need all those yeps. No, that's not an amen, shout me down moment. 
Number two, grow, with your, grow through your struggles. Grow through your struggles. God allows you to experience challenging circumstances so you can learn to love and trust him in deeper ways. And so you can grow more, mature more, develop a strong character, and become ultimately more like Jesus. No, you, you know God doesn't say, you're going to suffer with this, and you're going to suffer with that, and you're going to suffer. God doesn't bring the pain. God just allows you to grow through the pain. He allows things to happen. He doesn't cause them to happen. Things happen in this world because it's broken. It's sinful. It's fallen. That's why we deal with things in this world. How we respond to what already is going to take place is what is the difference between growing in our struggles and just giving up to them. How do you do that? Ask God to help you see your struggles from his perspective. Wow, that will change you, huh? Wake up in the morning and pray, God, let me see my struggle through your perspective. Sometimes we just need a perspective change. Number three, this is, the, this is a challenge because this is progressive in your life. You know, this is, this is a very progressive thing when you, you're meant to survive and not to thrive. So start working on, you're meant to thrive and not survive. So work towards thriving in life. And as you're th- thriving in life, you've got to learn to grow through your struggles. And, and then here is very important because this is going to happen in your life as you go through something. You have to resist the temptation to sin. Because in the middle of all of that, it's easy to sin. It's easy to fall short and it's easy to give in to temptation because when you're going through something, it's so much easier to take the easy road than it is the hard road. And let me tell you, sin is the easy road until one day it's no longer easy. One day it's no longer smooth sailing and then you're faced with all of that struggle that you have caused. So don't turn to sinful behaviors to escape the pain of the circumstance. It's what we do. We do it in so many ways. It's called medication. Sometimes we self-medicate with drugs, pornography, other addictions. Sometimes we are medicated by a professional to try to medicate this feeling away. And I'll be be the first to tell you, there is some value in some of this medication to stabilize you. But at the end of the day, it's not the medication that's going to get you through it. It's Jesus and and recognizing that he is the one who's bringing you through it. That's going to be what gets you through it. Pray for strength. Pray that God gives you a way out. It's real simple. He said, you'll never be tempted beyond your ability to escape. So just take a second, in the middle of your sin, in the middle of about to make its decision, say, God, where's the way out? Show me the exit door. Oh, there it is. It's bright. It's red. I am out of here, bro. Woo! Oh, it's too cold out here. (laughs) Back in. That's what we do, right? Oh, it's too cold out there. Let me get back inside. But that's it. Look for the exit and go. Number four, let your life tell the faith journey. Let me tell you, be, be someone who attracts people to Jesus. Be attractional in your life. Man, there's nothing, I tell you what, some of the greatest moments, when I sit down with someone who is just all Jesus all over them, it's like, oh, yeah, come on. I like this conversation. I like what we're about to do. Be attractional. So rather than complaining about your struggle, or compromising your values as you try to deal with them. Invite Jesus to shine his light through your life and then reflect his character in yours. It's easy to start complaining and griping about what's going on in your life. But instead, I tell you, there's nothing. Think about it. Think about the people that you've looked up to the most yourself. I guarantee in some way, shape, or form, there are people you can look at and say, wow, they went through something, but look at them. Listen to how they talk. Sure, they might have fallen off the wagon a time or two with their complaints or their gripe or their fear or whatever, but if you look at them, say, that's my hero, simply because, wow, look at the way they responded to their life situation. I have a bunch of those in my life. People who are no longer with us, people that have that are still with us in walking life, those are some of my heroes. Number five, want 
This is a challenging one as well. Want what God wants for you. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God doesn't care about you if he doesn't give you whatever you ask him for. Realize that God loves you so much that he gives you always what you need. And let me tell you, more times than not, what you need is almost never what you want. But what you need will bring you to this place and this walk with Jesus. That's just sweet. It's beautiful. It's empowering. And then other lives around you are changing. Let me tell you, if you started a journey with God, And you notice that there were people around you changing. It was because of what they saw in you. If you see them not changing any longer, it may be still what they see in you. Want what God wants for you. You're limited in in, in your perspective on life. We're limited. We, We only see what we can see. We can't see what God sees. That's why, that's why that prayer is so powerful. God, help me to see things from your perspective. And he's not going to give you the bird's eye view of your life. Man, he's, but he's going to bring you some peace. He's going to bring you some vision. Number six and final. Worship team, come. We're going to close right now. Last one, very simple. Never give up. Never give up. I tell you, I I know myself personally, I'm still standing here today for that reason because I never gave up. Sometimes I didn't do all these other things so well. You know, sometimes, you know, if I'm going back and I'm looking at my list, you know, sometimes, sometimes I just figured out how am I going to survive this? Other times, I I, I just would cower down in my struggle and not even worry about trying to go, trying to grow. I definitely have missed the mark from time to time in resisting, resisting the temptation to sin. I'm certain that it's not, I've not always been the one who attracts people to Jesus. Most of the time I want what God wants from me, but there is that sometimes. So sometimes you just get down to the, just the nitty gritty. Just never give up. Never give up. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You will never harvest the blessing that God has for you if you quit. You will never harvest the blessing God has for you if you walk away. Because things got tough. So whenever your sense of hope starts running out, ask God to renew you with a fresh dose of hope so you can continue to faithfully deal with the situations that come your way. Being confident that at the right time, God will reward you for your faithfulness. If you don't give up, hope can surely spring up.